Today we continue on in the Gospel of Mark. So if you have a Bible, open to Mark chapter 14. Our text today is going to be Mark 14, 12 through 31. And I'm going to read it, and then I'm going to introduce uh, someone who's going to come and share a little bit of their story with us before Albert uh, comes. So we're going to do the text, then we're going to welcome Pablo, and then Albert will come and talk about this passage. So Mark 14, 22 through 31. And as they were eating, he took bread, and after blessing it, broke it and gave it to them and said, Take, this is my body. And he took a cup, and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them, and they all drank of it. And he said to them, This is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many. Truly I say to you, I will not drink again of the fruit of the vine until that day when I drink, when I drink it new in the kingdom of God. When they had sung a hymn, they went out to the Mount of Olives, and Jesus said to them, You will all fall away, for it is written, I will strike the shepherd, and the sheep will be scattered. But after I am raised up, I will go before you to Galilee. Peter said to him, Even though they fall away, I will not. And Jesus said to him, Truly I tell you, this very night, before the rooster crows twice, you will deny me three times. But he said emphatically, If I must die with you, I will not deny you. And they all said the same. The word of the Lord. Let's pray. <clears throat> Lord, um, we're thankful for you this morning and as a testament to Pablo and what you've done in his life that you do indeed touch people's lives. And we believe that in full faith this morning that um, there are people here, all of us, um, who are desiring God to, to be more than who we are. And um, you allow us to tap into this supernatural power of looking beyond ourselves. And the way that we define success isn't uh, necessarily the way that you do. And yet yours is so much deeper, as Paul was saying, those layers of uh, that depth and that richness of being uh, a follower of yours. And so, God, would you speak to, through your word this morning uh, to transform us in Jesus' name? Amen. Um, last week, <clears throat> we looked at the betrayal of Judas, um, that he, he plotted with the religious leaders uh, against Jesus. And it just begs the question of how can someone who's followed Jesus 24-7 for three solid years um, reach such a dark place to betray someone that was so kind and, and pure, um, that didn't really have a... a hate in his body or like how, how can you do that and so we'll see that it isn't all that unusual because uh, we'll see that the the other disciples more specifically Peter right before the denial of Jesus and how he it, it is uh, in front of Jesus so let's briefly look at verses 22 through 25 first and then we'll, we'll just take it from there with a, uh, an introduction and as they were eating he took bread and after blessing it broke and gave it to them and said take this this is my body. And he took a cup, and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them, and they all drank of it. And he said to them, This is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many. Truly I say to you, I will not drink again of the fruit of the vine until that day when I <clears throat> drink it new in the kingdom of God. You can take a listen to last week's message where communion was talked about a little bit more. What I'd like to point out is that Judas was present um, during this whole time. Now, how do we know this? Um, I, <clears throat> I really enjoy the chronological Bible, and what it does is just, 
it doesn't put them by books, but it puts them through a chronology. And in reading the chronological Bible, it does put Judas at this event. And that Judas, he didn't leave until after this meal in John chapter 13. And it's just what I agree with. Now, why is this significant? It was touched upon briefly last week. And just to briefly bring it up again, just because you're at church and you take communion and you do all the other church things or the Christian things, it doesn't necessarily mean that you are a follower of Jesus if you're not living a life obedient to Christ. And so we have this time of communion with God every week. And one of the dangers in doing this every week is losing that reverence because it's just familiar and developing a familiarity that it loses its meaning and to forget that this is actually a holy time. And I want to briefly talk about what is holy. Holy means dedicated. And so this time is dedicated to God. This dedicated time of communion, this sacrament that we'll partake in later, is dedicated to God. And it means this, that it's not common. It's not just a time to snack on something. or It's a time dedicated in connecting, in reconnecting with God. So when we think about an antonym to holy, sometimes people would think of words like evil or wicked, but that's not, not really what it is. The opposite of holy is common. So if we're looking at something as simple as, say, cooking pots, and we have a bunch of these cooking pots, and this pot is holy, this one is dedicated to God. It is dedicated to the purposes of God, to serving God, for, for things that are just for, for God's usage. And, and then over here we would have common pots. And so these common pots are what we'd use for um, cooking soup or washing dishes or whatever you use pots for, storing babies. I don't know, you, you just, whatever. But that holy pot is dedicated to God. That's for God's use. And so in the Passover feast, which Jesus and his disciples celebrated with each other, this, this Passover feast does not have this, um, it, it has this messianic peace to it that, that Jesus is going to reveal to them that was never revealed to them before. And what, what Jesus does here is, is not in a Jewish Passover celebration since they don't accept Jesus as Messiah today. And so this historical Jewish feast, which has been celebrated for over 3,500 years, it, it's memorializing how God interceded in, in setting his people free from slavery from Egypt. And their exodus from Egypt and moving into the promised land. And, and the Jewish people were, were saved by God when the angel of death passed over their, their entryways, their homes, because they had the sacrificial lamb. And they used the blood of that sacrificial lamb on the doorpost and the lintel. And there is, is when the angel of death passed over. And so those homes that didn't have this the sacrificial lamb's blood on the lintel and the doorposts, they faced the death of their firstborn child. And this sacrificed lamb's life served as a substitute for, the, for those children, those Jewish children and their firstborn. And so this, that's the background to Jesus saying, this is my body. And this is my blood of the covenant which is poured out for many. He is saying that he is the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. He's the one that painted this so that when death comes over, it doesn't 
have to take you. And he's pointing back to this historical event of the Passover lamb in the Exodus to who he is the lamb for the rest of eternity. eternity. For us to trust him to be the substitute for our death because we know from Romans chapter 6, verse 23, that the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. That on the cross... Jesus bore our sins, which separates us from God. He died in our place for our sins, reconciled us to God. And the disciples don't have this all clear in themselves yet, but they will when the Holy Spirit comes into their lives. So, in looking at Judas, for for anyone living a life inconsistent with living a life of obedience to Jesus, just looking at this holy time, and taking this story to heart. And if you're coming back week after week after week and you still haven't kind of lived a life of obedience to Jesus, that maybe today is where you kind of draw that line. Maybe today is that day where you write that poem and you let God in your life and even though you don't want to write him down, that you're giving an opportunity for that to live a holy life, a dedicated life, not a common one. Not a common life. And see, this is one of the dangers that Christians face here in the Bay Area that's really, really challenging, is that there are many who claim to be Christians who live a common life, that they have common values, that they have a common philosophy of life, that they do common things. We're to be holy. We're to be dedicated to God. We're not common. 1 Peter chapter 1, starting in verse 14, As obedient children, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance when you were common. But as he who called you holy, you're dedicated. You also be holy in all your conduct, since it is written, You shall be holy, for I am holy. How is he holy? He's dedicated to you. Dedicated. Maybe some of you need to dedicate or rededicate your life to Jesus Christ, to be holy, to be dedicated to him. Unlike Judas, who who went with his covetousness, who went with his jealousy, and he went with what was common. He settled for the 30 pieces of silver. That's an easy thing to do. That's common. So Judas left and and was no longer with them. And then they were able to sing this hymn together, verse 26. And when they had sung a hymn, they went out to the Mount of Olives. Must have been a very different feel in the room, especially since they all wondered who it was because they all asked, like, is it I? Right, in verse 19, none of them knew who it was. And And the only one that probably legitimately doubted that it was really him was probably Thomas. Like, only Josiah got it. He's the only one laughing. Anyway... Then they went to the Mount of Olives, on the right Mount of Olives, which is in Israel today. It's all owned by the Catholic Church. Um, Thank you, Catholic Church, for preserving that area. When you go there, some of the tour guides will tell you, you know, some of these olive trees were back in the day of Jesus. And you can go there, and and you can pray there, and that might be where Jesus prayed. Um, Possible. I'm not saying that it's not possible, but they did do some carbon dating, and they found that it wasn't quite 2,000 years old. But to be fair, they did uh, miss, like, the oldest wood there because the wood kind of overgrew. Anyway, verse 27. 
And Jesus said to them, You will all fall away, for it is written, I will strike the shepherd and the sheep will be scattered. Jesus must have been just so bummed out here. Right? That these 11 guys, these were his best friends. He had just had this Passover feast with them. They sang together, and most likely a song that they've all sung before from the Psalms, and was really well known to them, and so many memories that they shared with one another. And then came this moment, this moment that Jesus knew that one of them, uh, that, that, that they would, would scatter. And, and Jesus is quoting from Zechariah, the prophet Zechariah, wrote in 13, verse 7, chapter 13, Strike the shepherd and the sheep will be scattered. I will turn my hand against the little ones. And that personal pronoun I there in Zechariah chapter 13 verse 7 is, is referring to God himself there in Zechariah that God will strike the shepherd. Now how can this be? How can God be the one to strike the shepherd? Well, let, let's turn to Romans chapter 8 starting in verse 31. What then shall we say to these things if God is for us who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son but gave him up for us all, how will he not also, also with him graciously give us all things? And what God did was he foreshadowed by the story of Abraham and Isaac. Where in Genesis chapter 22, God said to Abraham, Take your son, your only son Isaac, whom you love, and go to the land of Moriah and offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains of which I shall tell you. Then in Genesis 22 verse 7, Isaac had this great, great question for his dad, Abraham. He says, My father, and Abraham said, Here I am, my son. Isaac said, Behold, the fire and wood, but where is the lamb for a burnt offering? Abraham said, God will provide for himself the lamb for a burnt offering, my son. And so God provided the lamb. Now, there is always lamb at Passover, but here in the gospel, there's no mention of lamb. Why is that not mentioned? It is. It's mentioned in Jesus. Jesus, the lamb of God. God gave his son. Now, turn with me to Isaiah 53. And in Isaiah 53, he writes about the atonement of God in a couple of verses from Isaiah 53, one starting in verse 7, and then we'll go to verse 10. In verse 7, he was oppressed and he was afflicted, yet he, o had <clears throat> he opened not his mouth, like a lamb that is led to the slaughter and like a sheep that before it shears is silent, so he opened not his mouth. In verse 10, yet it was the will of the Lord to crush him. He has put him to grief when his soul makes an offering for guilt. He shall see his offspring. He shall prolong his days. The will of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. So it is God's will. It was God's will to strike the shepherd. It was the Lord's will for Jesus to atone for our sins. And Jesus, as part of the Trinity, as the Son, willingly gave his life. Jesus wasn't forced into a sacrifice he wasn't willing to make. Jesus said in John chapter 10, starting in verse 17, For this reason the Father loves me, because I lay my life that I may take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down for my own accord. I have authority to lay it down, and I have authority to take it up again. This charge I have received from my Father. And the Father and the Son, they made this decision together, and they made this plan of eternal salvation together. Back to Mark chapter 14, verse 28. But after I am raised up, I will go before you to Galilee. And just a really great, awesome promise by Jesus. He's told them over and over again that he was going to die, but the story doesn't end there, that there's this resurrection. 
that he's coming back. And at this time, the disciples don't quite understand what Jesus was really getting that. All, all of this was missed by the disciples. They don't get this. And it's the same for us. We, we just don't get it all the time. We've been taught, we've studied, we read, experience, but we miss what Jesus tells us. And the encouraging thing is the evidence of God's grace. That even though his disciples mess up and that we mess up, his promises remain and his love still remains even when we fail so miserably. And here's an example of Jesus' love despite our failures. Verse 29, Peter said to him, even though they all fall away, I will not. Peter has a history of thinking too highly of himself and, and saying things he will later regret. Um, do any of you know people like this or maybe you are a person like this? And you'd, you'd think that Peter would have learned to just kind of chill out and listen to Jesus by this time, but he doesn't do that. And this is, a, you know, especially because Jesus just rebuked him for what he said in Mark chapter 8, right? And in Mark 8, when Jesus asked his disciples, who do you say that I am? Peter answered him, you are the Christ, right? In verse 29, Peter was right. And he must have just felt really good about himself, like, man, I, I got that right, and so happy, and he could have just ended it on that high note, but then what happened? Verse 31, and he began to teach them that the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and the chief priests and the scribes and be killed and after three days rise again. And he said this plainly, and Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. But turning and seeing his disciples, he rebuked Peter and said, get behind me, Satan, for you're not setting your mind on the things of God, but on the things of man. You should have just be quiet, like just left it there. I mean, he was doing so good. Same sort of thing happening here in Mark chapter 14. Jesus told them that they were all going to scatter. And Peter tells Jesus, even though all these other guys take off, I'm not going to take off. And Jesus essentially is saying, Really? Verse 30, and Jesus said to him, truly I tell you, this very night before the rooster crows twice, you will deny me three times. But he said emphatically, if I must die with you, I will not deny you. And they all said the same. And Jesus told him exactly how he was going to react. And what puzzles me is that Peter hung out with Jesus for three straight years. And for those three straight years, was Jesus ever wrong? So you would have thought like Peter would have just okay, yeah, I, I got it, like, I, I'm going to do this, and I'm sorry, or, or do something, but no, he, he's like going, I'm not going to leave you, I'm not going to deny you, and then Jesus says, you're not just going to deny me once, it's going to happen three times on the same night. See, Jesus knows us much better than we know ourselves. But Peter said emphatically, he's insisting that, that, that that's not going to happen. He, he wouldn't listen to Jesus. And, and rather than having confidence in Jesus, he's really, really confident in himself. You know, Peter, Peter's not a bad guy at all. Peter's heart was in the right place, but he's just not listening to Jesus. He loved Jesus. He really wants to be the person that he thinks he is. But at this point, he can't. Peter's character had not matured to the point where he, he had this realization of how far he really was from God. 
It wasn't all that long ago that Peter was arguing with the other disciples about who was the greatest. In Luke chapter 22, right after this Passover meal, we find that the disciples are arguing again about who's the greatest. Luke 22 verse 24, a dispute also arose among them as to which of them was to be regarded as the greatest. Now you skip down to verse 31, and Peter, uh, Jesus said, Simon, Simon, behold, Satan demanded to have you that he might sift you like wheat, but I have prayed for you that your faith may not fail, and when you have turned again, strengthen your brothers. And then Jesus told Peter he'd deny him three times. Now did you notice that that Jesus referring to Peter, he changed it in verse 31 to Simon. See, Simon means uh, wobbly or insecure or unstable. So Jesus was saying, um, wobbly, you're about to fall. <laughs> Chill out, man. Don't, don't be like that. Then the rest of them joined in to argue with Jesus about this, but Jesus was right. They all left him, and, and Peter did deny him three times. See, the, the pride coming before the fall. Proverbs has a lot to say about pride and trusting in one's own mind. Let's just take a look at three of them. Proverbs chapter 11, verse 2. When pride comes, then comes disgrace, but with the humble is wisdom. Proverbs 16, 18. Pride goes before destruction and a haughty spirit before a fall. 28, 26. Whoever trusts in his own mind is a fool. It's pretty direct. How different are our values and beliefs in our world? Where, where pride is exalted, we, we, we lift pride up. Where trusting in our own minds is promoted, where there is a belief that people's hearts are generally good. But, but that's simply not true. Jeremiah 17, verse 9, The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can know it? Pride before the fall. Trusting in one's own mind is foolishness. Our hearts are more wicked than we know. And, and when we don't realize these things, we're in more danger than we understand. We're dangerous to ourselves. We're dangerous to each other. And this is proven true by Christians. Where so many have been prideful about how to go about things. Where so many have had a haughty spirit when, when living in a greater community where people have different beliefs and different values and yet we're imposing without humility how people should live. Where Christians have trusted in their own minds claiming that what they're promoting is biblical when it really isn't. It's political, it's social, it's something else, but it is not biblical. If anyone needs to hear this message about humility and knowing the heart and that our minds are not in the right place, it's us. We need to be careful about our witness to the world. The things that we're about. Are we truly abiding by what is scriptural? Are we just kind of making things up and then kind of fitting them in? And we really need to be careful about how we influence other people. You take a look at Peter. Peter had really great influence on these guys and even the church today. But Peter did have a part in misleading the rest of the group, even though his heart was seemingly in the right place. 
Because you notice that he's the first one to say that he wouldn't deny Jesus before all the other ones chimed in with him. He had this influence. Look at Peter's influence in John chapter 21, verse 3. Simon Peter said to them, I am going fishing. They said to him, we will go with you. You you know our influence with just the simple things that we say or the simple things that we do. We need to be careful about our influence because we can so easily lead or mislead people into actions and thinking and feeling. Jesus knows us better than we know ourselves. And we must trust his word, not our own minds, and what he says about us. Let me close with this one last thought. We need to be really gracious to one another knowing that we're all messed up people. We make mistakes. And as a church, we try our best to do what's kind, what's gracious, what's right, what's generous. And I share this with you because we need grace as a church just as much as anyone else. And what appears to happen on the outside, the decisions that are made here, please have the confidence to know that that a lot of prayer, time and consideration, counsel takes place before we make big decisions. And even though we do all of that, we still make mistakes. So what's our response when someone fails or, or falls? Hopefully it's something full of grace. And if there are questions about how we handle things or do things, that you would please talk to us about those things. Find out from us why, how we came about those decisions. And the same goes for other people. Before you start slandering, gossiping, or saying other things about people, go talk to the people directly involved or the other direct parties involved to get a clearer picture of what's really going on before making any of these judgments, that you would extend grace to people. God was gracious to Peter, and he's gracious to us. Failure isn't a final thing with God, because God is a God of redemption. You know, when people ask, you know, I'm I'm afraid to make a mistake. I'm afraid to make this decision because I don't know if it's the right thing to do. If it's not unethical, if it's not illegal, if it's not unbiblical, and it's just kind of a decision you have to make, just make it. You'll be fine. God is a God of redemption. He's, he's with you with all these decisions. You don't have to be fearful. You know, chocolate or vanilla, I really think. Chocolate. I mean, come on. <laughs> he knew where all these guys would end up after his arrest. He knew all of their stories, but he still had that Passover meal with them. He also knew that where they'd end up when each of them were going to be martyred. See, he has the whole story. He's not just looking at this time of failure. He sees through the failure. He sees through the very end. And at the end of it all, he meets up with us, just like he met with his disciples in Galilee. We are so loved. Even in the middle of our failure, in the middle of this misplaced self-confidence that some of us may have, like Peter, in the middle of sin, in the middle of misleading others, we're so loved by God, and he knows us to the end of our stories. He's not just looking at this moment where maybe you're struggling with something or maybe you're failing at something. The story where if, if we allow for God to transform us, our failures will be redeemed. You don't have to live in the failure forever. Let's pray.
God, we're so thankful that you are indeed a God of redemption, that, God, you have so much love for us, and that our story isn't ending right here in the present, that there is so much hope for us. And I pray, God, that we would exercise a humility, that we wouldn't be overly self-confident, that when you tell us something, God, that we would indeed listen. In Jesus' name. Amen.